Welcome back to the latest Green Section podcast episode. I'm the host, Adam Miller. This is the first episode we're doing on a fairway regrassing series. And today uh, we're joined by John Hoyle, who's the superintendent at Corning Country Club in New York. Uh, John takes us through the multi-year process of fairway conversion uh, at his course, where they did a few fairways each year, uh, converting from a uh, sort of a hodgepodge, a hind 57 of cool season grasses to a newer bent grass variety. And I think one of the really neat parts of the process used at Corning was how they were able to really keep the golf course open throughout the conversion process. So here's the conversation with John. John, it's awesome to talk to you today. I'm really excited to, you know, kind of hear your story around fairway regrassing at Corning Country Club. But before we get into that, weather has changed awfully quick. You know, where are you guys at with your late fall prep on the golf course, and uh, when do you close? Well, we actually uh, just completed our snow mold applications, you know, sanding the greens for the winter, and uh, we'll probably be closing here right around Thanksgiving. Awesome. It's amazing how, how quick the season goes. It'll be here before we know it. So, um, well, let's jump into uh, the fairway grassing. You've been, uh, you know, I think a poster child for us. We've had a number of articles uh, around the fairway grassing project at Corning. So um, I'm glad we could talk today about that. Uh, can you start, you know, before we really get into the, the process, the nuts and bolts of regrassing at Corning, can you give our listeners some background info um, with respect to, you know, kind of what the course is like, the age, you know, some of the challenges you were dealing with there on your fairways? Uh, the course is um, 103 years old, so it opened in 1919. It is a private club. We're located in uh, the Finger Lakes region of upstate New York. club is probably most famous for holding uh, the LPGA Corning Classic for 30 years. Uh, it was from 79 to 2009. You know, over the 100 years of that golf course, there was... Um, you know, multiple different grasses in the, in the fairways, you know, they just didn't perform very well during the summer months. What was the, with the grasses specifically that you had, the old grasses, was it a, just a combination of like old, weak poa? Was it some poa triv, ryegrass? Which ones were particularly uh, sort of poor performers? So we had, uh, the members called them the hodgepodge or the Heinz 57. So we had uh, six different grasses in the fairways, uh, which was rye, blue, bent, poanya, poa triv, and some fine fescue. And really what happened is those fairways could be, you know, halfway decent, you know, May and June. Once you started getting into, you know, July and August, the poanya uh, certainly didn't want to, you know, make it through the summer. Um, and, you know, you would have, uh, you know, some of those grasses, you know, struggling uh, in, in, in those summer months and some of them, you know, striving and it made an, uh, you know, wasn't a, a good appearance. Also, you know, the, the different uh, rates of growth wasn't good for playability. It wasn't a uniform surface. So it was really a combination of agronomics and playing conditions that led to the decision to convert your fairways to uh, an improved variety of bentgrass? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. The Heinz 57 kind of description is what so many folks have. How many rounds of golf do you guys do there? Was, was traffic another factor in terms of you just had a lot of grasses that didn't love summer? Well, I, I think, I don't think it was so much the traffic, the, the club being private. I mean, it, until COVID, I mean, it was usually only doing about 13,000 rounds a year doing, you know, maybe 20 now. Um, you know, obviously that have, has changed things. 
and, and we don't have very many carts. Uh, the club still only has 36 golf cars for the for the members. We have uh, a good percentage of our members that walk. So it was more just the, the weather struggles more than traffic. The agronomic benefits of just getting some stronger grasses out there, I think all our listeners understand that. That's maybe the easy part of the fairway regrassing comes down to a lot of cases just golfers and golfer disruption and and no golfer is gonna really enjoy the disruption associated with fairway regrassing nor do they really understand you know maybe why it's worth all the trouble can you tell us how you went about educating sort of the key decision makers at corning you know that that regrassing the fairways was really the right decision well, when I first got there, it was kind of easy because even during the interview process, so I just started there in 2015, and this had already been talked about with my predecessor. Fairway regrassing was brought up in the interview. It was something that the members wanted to do um, to begin with. As we went into the, the process, there were other members that weren't decision makers that maybe weren't happy with it because it did interrupt their play. When we first started, it was only uh, two fairways that we were trying this out on so that we, we could play those as, uh, you know, par threes or, you know, something to that nature so that they still had 18 holes to play. You led right into my next, uh, my next question I wanted to touch on. I think a really neat thing that you guys did and something that our agronomists recommend for any course that's, that's looking to do a fairway regressing is to experiment with, you know, one or two fairways to sort of see the process in action and, and work out any kinks. When you first started to do the experimentation on those two fairways, I'm guessing it allowed you to find ways to improve the process before taking on, you know, whatever all 22 acres of fairways you had after that? I think we definitely benefited by not going all in trying to do a renovation. We learned so much from those first two fairways. The main thing was trees. We actually knew there were some tree problems on those two holes and we removed trees before we started the renovation uh, the winter prior. But we soon learned after we uh, went through the process and um, all, the cul- all the cultivation and got the seed down, those fairways were not growing in as fast as they should have. And you could see that it was around trees and we, we knew there was more work to be done. And, and so we learned that. We knew right away that we had a mistake. Luckily, I had a, a good membership and a, a board that was backing me. And at that point in time, you know, we decided to bring in an architect to help us, you know, with uh, more tree removal that was going to help the whole process along. So with the first two fairways that you picked, there, there's a little bit of semantics and a little bit of psychology probably goes along with this. But did you pick sort of the two weakest fairways sort of too middle of the road or two fairways where you knew you were going to be successful. There's sort of different approaches to it because taking on a, you know, a project like this, obviously there's risk and there's, you know, concern over how well it's going to go. And you, you know, you're trying to use this as leverage to do the rest of the property. So how did you go about sort of deciding which fairways to do? And again, kind of rank them. Were they bottom tier performers, middle of the road, or, or some of your stronger fairways? Well, Adam, the, the reason those two fairways were, were chosen was, was basically because the membership, they chose those. Okay. <laughs> they, were the weakest, they, they were the weakest They were the weakest two fairways on the golf course. It did help me to try to get trees down prior to the renovation. We tried to be, uh, I guess, nice about it and not uh, remove as, as many as we knew maybe we, that we should have. But I guess back to your original question, that was the reason those two were, were chosen. They were the weakest two fairways on the golf course. Yeah, the, the tree removal part of all this is is an important one, and I'm glad you touched on it, and you guys sought the help of an architect. Did you look to adjust fairway grassing lines in addition to just getting more sunlight on those fairways? 
originally we did not adam um so that was just something that we got lucky and benefited on um so once we realized that we needed um some more tree, tree removal and and my superiors they suggested let's bring in an architect not just an agronomist to tell our membership that we need to remove more trees and while the architect was there he brought up the point and and, and said hey let's listen, you missed a, a great opportunity to, you know, redirect these fairways, you know, bring bunkers uh, back into play that were totally misplaced from the fairway over the years. We got lucky and we benefited from that. And all the years, you know, after that, as we were doing renovation, um, we realigned the fairways or took them back out to where they should be, uh, recaptured bunkers, all those things. Yeah, that's really neat when you can combine those two those two projects to, to realign the fairways and maybe create more width off the tee and then also obviously just update technology get better genetics out there let's move into the specific conversion process you used first getting rid of the six different uh, species you had in there the Heinz it's not even a Heinz 57 it seems like it's more than that what time of year did you start with your uh, your non-selective applications what products did you use and you know if you recall the rates or number of applications yes the herbicide we used was glyphosate um in the first two runs at this when we were just you know doing two or three fairways at a time um, we used one app of glyphosate the rest of the way through the renovation we used two apps uh, and they were one week apart we did get a little bit of contamination especially in the places that we were expanding the fairways back out um, areas that used to be rough we went with uh, two apps and that seemed to you know help that that situation out as far as the rates uh, i do remember it was five quarts per acre and we did uh, use ammonium sulfate uh, with it uh, to, you know, try to get it into the plant. Sure. Yeah. It's as we alluded to in the beginning. This is the you know, the first of a, a multi-part series on February grassing, and going from cool season to cool season is not easy in terms of getting the non-selective out there to, to kill everything. But um, it, it's it's interesting how much more challenging it is when you go uh, and you're trying to kill some some warm season grasses out there. So. Glad you had success kind of going from that one to uh, to two applications there. Any other preparations for the soil itself, you know, core aeration prior to seeding, anything like that? Yes. I mean, our, our procedure was um, after the glyphosate apps, and we would even start that process, start the uh, cultivation in between the applications. Um, so like if we applied the first round of glyphosate, you know, we would wait a, a day or two, and then we would go out with uh, the, the slit seeder, just slicing in, in two different directions. You know, we'd go one direction, blow off the, the material, the thatch, uh, go another direction, um, and we would have that all done. And then we would, you know, wait uh, until that week would come up, apply the second round of glyphosate. And at that point in time, we would go in uh, with core aerification. We did a double aeration uh, one year, but we didn't really see any benefit from that doing, uh, you know, two of them. I mean, with two directions of slice seeding, I think one direction of uh, core, aeration, core aeration was fine. Um, so we, we settled on that. Um, we would break up those, uh, you know, plugs, try to, you know, bust off any of the soil, um, and then, you know, blow the thatch off, and there was our seedbed. Let's back up for a sec and talk about the, the non-selective herbicide applications. Describe to me sort of how you managed play in and around those applications. You know, did you just close the course to, to make the application and then reopen the next day and let people play on things until the next application? You know, like, what does that all look like? Basically, what we tried to do, and it worked out really great last year in, in, in 2021, 
um, we did the entire back nine. Um, the, the front nine was already, you know, uh, done. We basically just uh, closed the back nine uh, for that day. And we, uh, you know, sprayed the glyphosate on a Monday. Tuesday, like at lunchtime, you know, once we felt like everything dried up, we opened it back up so they could they could play. Um, they would have 18 holes again till the next Monday. That's how we handled that. Okay. Yeah, that's a great description. I know that's one of the the concerns everyone has anytime you have a non-selective out there and, and then golf shortly thereafter is the, the fear of it tracking, you know, especially on greens. So uh, I'm glad you could, you could touch on that. So talk to me a little bit about uh, the, the grass species you selected. You know, were there any considerations given to other species um, or was bank grass just sort of that's that's the clear choice. Um, and then, you know, kind of from there, you know, what what led you to sort of pick luminary as the bank grass there? OK, um, so, my, so we, we went with bank grass basically because that's what the members wanted. You know, I, I like that idea, too. Um, I, when they started this talk with my predecessor, I think he was thinking possibly about doing some fine fescue doing like the uh, colonial bent fine fescue fairways, which I have heard have been good. Um, that was thought about. But really, the membership wanted bent grass. Uh, they, they, I think they felt that that was, um, you know, kind of like the, you know, the private club standard, and that's what they wanted to go with. As far as picking luminary, that was really with the help of uh, the USGA. So that was uh, with the help of, uh, I think, uh, you know, when you uh, visited with Dennis prior to me being there, um, I know dealing with uh, Paul Jacobs, those were, uh, luminary was always coming up as one of the, the top bent grasses to use. It's really interesting to kind of see the slightly different approaches. You know, there's there's more and more fairway regrassing going on now than uh, in the past 10 years, That that's for sure. And and different, slightly different approaches that everyone takes when seeding um, fairways. So can you talk about, you know, seeding rate and like the specific, like slice seeding equipment? Um, you mentioned two directions. Did you, did you ever try three or did you ever just go with one? Um, you know, anything you can touch on there related to the seating equipment and seating rate would be, I think, interesting to the audience. We're probably unique on how we applied the seed. So you heard me say we used a slit seeder, you know, in two directions. And we did that in between the glyphosate apps and we did not apply seed then. That was basically just a, to prepare the seed bed and make the slices. Um, and then after the airification, um, busting up those cores and blowing off the thatch, our seed bed was prepared. We actually walk dropped the seed. As crazy as that may sound, um, it really was not that difficult uh, when we were doing, you know, two or three fairways a year. And last year, uh, when we did an entire back nine, it still wasn't that difficult. We just trained, uh, you know, people that we trusted to uh, drop that seed and we put them in teams of two. You know, if we had a par five fairway, you would have three teams out there uh, dropping that. And basically we had, uh, you know, one person would uh, run the drop seeder and the other person would be behind them with a paint gun, um, making sure that there was uh, no skips. We only went one direction. Uh, nobody, I think they would have killed me if I would have made, uh, made them go in two directions. It, it really wasn't that bad. And I don't think anything could be more accurate than a walk drop spreader. Um, and, and those things, you know, just, they just popped. They came in uniform, came in awesome. So that that's how we applied it. And seating seating rate? Yeah, so we messed around with it a little bit, but we, we were always at a pound to a pound and a half. Um, you know, we changed that up a, a few different times. Okay. Well, the, the drop spreader for the whole fairway, for sure the accuracy part of it. I, I've often 
seen courses use the drop spreader, you know, sp- specifically for the fairway edge to not get any bent grass uh, contamination outside of what, what they want uh, for their fairway. And, you know, what just thinking about uh, your description of, uh, you know, using the, the paint gun to make sure there's no skips, I think that's one of the most unnerving parts of seeding bent grass. However way you do it is the seed is so small that you're just sort of looking in the hopper and like, okay, there's less seed in there, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you can't really see it go on the ground. I remember doing that, um, you know, seeding a, a tee a couple different times and I'm like, I don't see it. It's, it's, it's gotta be there though. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's neat how you, uh, how you guys did it. You know, another really neat aspect of the project I think was how, how you kind of managed to keep play open um, keep greens open for play uh, during the process, you know, with using uh, temporary tees for par threes uh, and then uh, essentially adjusting how players played uh, par fours and par fives. So, John, can you give us sort of some insight into how you managed play while fairways were being regrassed? Yes, uh, we did it two different uh, ways. Um, as you mentioned, uh, just making a hole par three, we would just mow down a, a temporary tee in the rough and uh, no matter what that hole was, whether it was a par four or par five, we just made it a par three. And most members uh, would just hit the, you know, hit their shot over the seeded area uh, onto the green or close by and just and just skip it, uh, just avoid it. The other way that we handled it um, a few times so as we were doing the front nine uh, a couple at a time, we left the hole, whatever par it was. So if it was a par four. Um, and they hit their drive and it went in the rough, it really didn't um, affect them. But if they did hit the fairway, they simply walked out, uh, got their golf ball, and then placed it in the step cut for their next shot. Both ways, you know, worked pretty good, you know, and and it kept the members uh, somewhat happy that they still had 18 holes to play. Yeah, I was going to ask, was there one of those methods that seemed to sort of please the, the, the membership a little bit more than the other? And then, did you notice any difference in germination establishment rate between those two methods on the, the fairways that, you know, you were hitting over or the fairways that players were walking out and grabbing their ball and then moving to the side to, to play on? So as, as far as which method worked best, I, I think that they liked uh, playing the whole whatever part was. That way they kind of kept their, their scorecard normal. As far as traffic, I don't think it mattered uh, out in the middle of the fairway, 100 yards out, 200 yards out. The only thing that I noticed is last year we had the front nine was already renovated, so we just closed the back nine. So there was no play at all. I noticed that the approaches on the back nine came in a little bit quicker than what they did on the front nine. My guess is on that is that there was a little bit more traffic on those approaches because it was closer to the green um, than there would have been, you know, further out in the fairway. I did notice that. Yeah, traffic and a grow-in like this fairway conversion is is always a, a big challenge. Did you ever consider doing one half of the fairway at a time, like just doing the left half of a fairway and the right half? Um, I, I've got an interesting story to share uh, after you answer that question, but do you ever think about that? I did not. And and actually, I've heard that there was people that did do that, but I never thought about doing it. I almost kind of thought it would have been more difficult, but you're probably going to tell a story where it worked out great. Yeah. So the one example I know of, of where a course did sort of one fairway, like a half of a fairway at a time is a situation where in year one, 
they killed the left half of the fairway and reestablished it with seed and roped it off, and that half of the fairway was closed the rest of the year, so all the traffic was on the right half. And then the following year, they did the same, but they killed off the right side of the fairway and roped it off, and then all the traffic, all the car traffic, was then on the one-year-old bank grass on the left side of the fairway. And that traffic actually wore that one-year-old grass out pretty pretty quickly. And then when they finally open up the fairway, um, and to this day now, the right half of the fairway has more bank grass than the, uh, than the left half. So pretty wild. We had a difficult time, uh, you know, even doing in complete fairways and having some of the fairways be uh, the old hodgepodge fairways and some of them be in bank grass because we couldn't just send the fairway you know, sprayer out because they were being totally treated differently. I would guess if you had half your fairway that was renovated and half your fairway that wasn't and they had to be treated, uh, you know, differently, um, I, I would think that would be difficult as well. Absolutely. That's a whole part of it. And, and with you guys doing the project in phases, even though you had, you know, an entire fairway done, just as soon as you enter, you know, introduce different types of management programs on different holes. It, it makes an already complicated job uh, really difficult with developing, uh, you know, the right spray program and fertility programs. Let's actually touch on sort of how you did the project over different phases and years. One of the biggest things that I think is a, a question from golfers and superintendents is, you know, what, how long is the golf course closed or how long uh, does it take until you're back playing on the fairways? So, you probably had different weather in different years, but on average, um, what was the amount of time from those initial glyphosate applications until players were back hitting golf shots from the fairways? Um, and then how long was it from the initial glyphosate applications until carts were allowed back on those fairways? So we would open the fairways. I think it would be safe to say four to six weeks. Um, you know, obviously some years they grew in a little bit better than others. Um, last year when we did the entire back nine, I felt they probably could have been opened in four weeks. Um, my membership was very supportive and we kept them closed for six. But, you know, they were hitting shots off them just like they were a mature fairway. As far as cart traffic, we tried our best to keep cart traffic off for the whole rest of that year. And then we would just start um, fresh in the spring where they, those fairways were just treated just like uh, all the other fairways. So if you're looking at, like, when, when did you make the first application? Kind of like early August, and then the fairways, uh, there were no carts on those fairways until the following spring. Is that is that about right, or when was that first app? Yeah, so, so the first app would, you know, depending on the year, but it'd either be the last week in July or first week in August. And then we tried to keep the carts off of those fairways that we renovated um, in, until the next spring. To be quite honest with you, late fall, once the ropes became um, a hindrance for leaf removal and things like that in the fall, uh, we would take them down. And, you know, you know, there would be a few people that crossed them here and there, but it, it wasn't a, a lot of car traffic. Sure, just sort of the honor system at that point. Like, hey, everyone everyone knows these fairways are brand new. Let's, yes. mm -hmm. let's do, do our part to, to stay off them as much as possible. So, yes. Obviously, the two big motivations for you guys to regrass were, you know, improving playability, and it's cool that your membership was was really driving that. They knew they wanted some some stronger, better playing fairways. Um, but another component, you know, with with taking advantage of new grasses, new bank grasses in particular, is 
the potential to reduce inputs, especially around their disease resistance, you know, to dollar spot. Um, based on your experience, um, I'm guessing the golfers are happy, I guess, from a playability standpoint. Have you been able to sort of put a number on how much, you know, you've saved in terms of inputs or other maintenance practices because of the new, new fairways? Yes. Uh, we, we kind of estimated that we're saving about $24,000 a year, you know, uh, chemical applications to the fairways. So obviously, you know, fungicides uh, for dollar spot are, are, you know, probably the number one um, thing. There's also reduction in uh, our annual bluegrass weevil applications. Uh, you know, we're only making uh, the one application now uh, in, you know, in the spring, you know, and then the fertilizer. We're not even fertilizing these fairways uh, with a granular um, every year. And, you know, it's every every couple years. So, uh, you know, uh, we've saved, you know, about $24,000 a year on those, on those uh, applications. So the ROI has been fairly quick, I'd imagine, the payback period between you know, what it costs to do these fairways, the disruption associated with it, and then the, the, the lost revenue. I'm guessing you had a pretty quick return on that investment? Absolutely. We had, uh, you know, a, a real quick uh, return on that investment. It was almost paying for itself as, as we did it. The other, I guess, benefit of that was, you know, with that savings, we were able to put it into other areas of the, the golf course, you know, whether it was, you know, to help uh, greens or bunkers or, you know, whatever it may be. But, uh, you know, my budget didn't go down you know, because of that, um, we just reallocated that money somewhere else. Yeah, that's a big, a big take home. I think that a lot of courses, you know, it's a good selling point for, for more courses to do this type of work that if you're really financially limited and you need to reduce your budget, like fairway regressing can help you get there, or you can get that same budget and make it go further because you're not spending the same amount of money on you know, fungicides are, are super important still, I'm sure. Uh, same thing with the insecticides. But, you know, when you think about a, a dollar spot spray that could be costing you seven, $8,000 and it lasts you 21 days, like you're, you're never getting that money back. So uh, being able to reduce a few of those is is definitely a, a, a nice thing when you can put that money towards something that has a, a direct impact on, on playing conditions. So I wanted to wrap up with sort of your, your final thoughts on, you know, your great example of converting cool season grasses to, you know, an improved bent grass variety. When you look back on things, what do you think the most successful part of the project was? And is there anything that you might do differently? I think the most successful part is seeing those fairways in July and August uh, because they're they're just vibrant green. They can handle the the heat of the summer. You know that's the biggest bright spot of the whole renovation. If there was anything I could do uh, differently, I think that um, I, I think that the the best way to to do this project is to do nine holes at a time. So close. Um, even though we were very successful in doing it in some phases on that front nine, um, you know two or three fairways at a time. I think the best way to do the project is make sure that your, you know, all your your foundation is good. Whether you know you have tree problems or drainage problems, you know, take care of those those fundamentals. Then do uh, nine holes. The next year, do the other nine holes. I think that that would be, you know, and just keeping the traffic off. I think would be that would be the the best way to do this project. Fantastic information, John. Really appreciate you coming on the show today to talk to us about the fairway regrassing project at Corning. It's been uh, awesome to awesome to hear about, and always great to catch up. Thanks for having me, Adam. 
Thanks for listening to the USGA Green Section podcast. Be sure to subscribe, listen, and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also keep up with the latest content on Twitter and by subscribing to the Green Section Record, our digital publication that's published twice a month.